0: Thought about why people act the way they do? Why are some people more difficult to deal with while others are always pleasant? Let's find out together. Welcome to Human Behavior. What a trip! Your host is Dr. Jonathan Brower. Our program combines expert guests with people just like you who have questions or comments. We'll have fun exploring human behavior. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Brower.
1: Hello, everybody. This is Jonathan Brower. Welcome to today's show. My guest today is Ray Ellis, who, uh, among other things, was a uh, f- tremendously good football player in the 1980s with the Philadelphia Eagles and the Cleveland Browns. And we're going to be talking today about, uh, among other things, concussions in the National Football League and racism in sports in general and in the National Football League in particular. So welcome, Mr. Ray Ellis. How are you, Jonathan? Good. I'm glad to have you as my guest.
2: It is, it's my honor. Okay. Well,
1: my honor too. I remember watching you on TV and thought you were really good. You were a cool player.
2: Well, I hope I didn't cost you any money. That's what. <laughs> that's no, what I like you didn't cost
1: me any money. I was watching them on TV, and I didn't bet on the games. Great. But um, actually, when I'm watching football, I like watching the defensive backs the most because you guys are the most skillful and the most athletic. So it's uh, sort of a cross between uh, a ballroom brawl and uh, ballet, you
2: know what I mean? Well, you know, it's funny you mention that because, uh, you know, we as as players and as athletes, uh, many times we find ourselves in a discussion as to who's the best athlete. But it's certainly, as you just mentioned, uh, there's a, a lot of crossover in various sporting activities that play in into the game of football. You know, when you you look at some of those acrobatic and those um uh if you will dance moves that uh that you see happen out on the football field. They certainly don't teach us to do those things. I I think sometimes they just come naturally and you find yourself having to become a ballerina or having to become a high jumper or being able to push your body in ways that you've never imagined. But uh yeah. certainly was a lot of fun and uh looking forward to having a conversation with right. you about some of the other things connected yes. to the game.
1: So before we go on, I'm curious. Uh, when you were in high school, what sports did you play in addition to football?
2: Well, I, I'm really a frustrated basketball player. And nice. uh, it's uh, one of those things where basketball, probably if I had a choice, yeah. um, I probably would have loved to play the game of basketball. I think I was a pretty good baseball player when I was a kid. Yeah. And I was not, again, aware of the fact that there was such a thing as a relief pitcher. Um, because I was a pretty good relief pitcher, but I just wasn't aware of it when I was a younger kid. So football probably was something that um, I did out of necessity because I wasn't good enough to do those other things. But uh, probably my favorite sport is probably basketball.
1: I see. And so um, one other thing I'm curious about, now that you've been away from football for quite a few decades, how is your body? Do you have any problems,
2: knee problems or neck problems? Well, it'd probably be easier for me to tell you what, doesn't hurt as opposed to what does hurt.
0: Okay, what and, doesn't
2: uh, hurt? That, that's that's just another story. I remember one time when I was in the locker room for the Cleveland Browns, and it was in it was the sixth year of my NFL career. And yeah. uh, our defensive back coach, I remember being in a meeting one day uh, with the rest of the defensive backs, and I said to the coach, I said, Coach, you know what? You know, last night I was seriously thinking about retiring. I said, I counted. Uh, that my body hurt me in 13 different places. Yes. And, and I was seriously thinking about retiring. He just told me, he said, Ray, I'll just say this to you. There are guys, many guys that, you know, feel the same way, and they make premature decisions about retiring. He took me serious. Yeah. He said, but I would just tell you to think about that before you make that decision. So I probably thought about it and probably got, you know, the next week probably was hurting in probably 15 different places.
1: <laughs> yes. Because clearly football has tremendous con- uh, collisions and concussions and it's a hard way to have to live with those over the years
2: well football is it's one of those games that there's no doubt about it it's uh, they used to call it a contact sport and i remember yeah. uh, when i retired from the game in 1989 and i was in business i remember having conversations with people and saying to them that you know, football was not a contact sport. I said to them, "You know, uh, you're actually a contact for me." And and the yeah. business world, I have contacts in the business world. I said, "But on the football field, those are collisions. Exactly, and they truly are collisions,
1: and they're very severe. I mean, if two guys are running at uh, a sprinter speed and they collide into each other, that's a huge uh, crash.
2: It is. It is. Yeah. And it's, it's it's one of those things that." Um, you know, I watched myself in the game of pro football, and over the years, I can look back at my pictures, yeah. and as I look back over my pictures, one thing that I noticed is I noticed that as uh, my career uh, went deeper and deeper into my career, uh, the more pads I added to my body,
0: yes. and
2: and I added those pads to my body because they were supposed to be the protective gear that was supposed to, you know, cushion the blow, that you would feel less pain if you had more pads on, that's how come they they try to encourage guys to put the iPads on
0: yes. and
2: knee pads uh, to soften the blow. So, yes. uh, the more you play, the more you want to protect yourself.
1: Yes. So, um, uh, I, I assume you know quite a few players who have had concussions. Have you Have you had any yourself?
2: Well, that, that's a very interesting topic. Yes, yes, I have. I'm, I'm I happen to be one of the players and and so i really have to watch what i say today jonathan in, okay, in, that's fine. in this conversation I, i'm one of those players that is a, a part of the lawsuit uh-huh. uh, but yes i have experienced uh, concussions yes um they're they're very scary uh yeah. but many times uh, i've been um you know i've had concussions and and i was unaware of it and yes. uh, you know i was unaware of it because i wasn't informed until later and so it's one of those things whereas uh there are different signs of a concussion, and we're trying to educate even young people. I have a gentleman who does a show with me on the uh sports channel here at voice america sports
0: uh-huh. uh,
2: and that is uh Dr. Bruce Grossinger and he's a concussion specialist uh-huh. he provides a lot of insight because it's one of those things where parents uh, of young children uh, who play the sport as well as um, high school and, and college and pros, family yes. members need to be aware of the signs of concussions.
1: Yes. So what are some of the signs of concussions besides feeling woozy and kind of spacey and having a headache?
2: Well, uh, again, I'm not an expert, but, uh, you know, it, it also has to do with what, appetite, you know. Uh, it certainly oh, yeah. has to do with um many times loss of memory i I can tell you that sometimes i've had concussions i wouldn't know what the heck happened you know i wouldn't know what happened before i wouldn't know what happened after yes Um, i remember one i had in particular in cleveland um when we played the new orleans saints um um, i i think i remember one other play in the game you know and, and and many times when you play this sport of football um, you 're very well in tune as to what 's going on and and you can remember many parts of a game
0: yes um
2: but uh you you lose memory you you forget things um yes. you're many times when you 're out there and um you know you've you 've been concussed and you you 're not aware of the fact that you have a concussion and again afterwards you 'll get a diagnosis and maybe you 'll find out and uh but again you just you 're not yourself, yes. you know, They'll ask you questions you won 't know the answers to questions um Perhaps maybe I've, I've witnessed a friend of mine who was asking for people uh, on the sidelines that were miles and miles away.
0: Uh-huh. Um,
2: so there are a lot of different signs, uh, again, that you may have a headache. Uh, some people have headaches, some people don't, you know. Yes. But certainly um, I, I would say that the best thing to do is to get an opinion from a doctor as opposed to somebody who's uh, just a layman like myself.
1: Right. So uh, in
2: the 1980s,
1: Concussions weren't dealt with as, as quickly and as seriously as they're dealt with now. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, you're right. And and um, the reason why, um, I'm not sure why they were not. Uh, yeah. But one thing for sure is I know in those days whenever we were knocked out of a football game, you know, there was, uh, we called it smelling salts. I don't know why we called it smelling salt or smelling salts. I don't know why.
0: Yes. But it's
2: yeah. something they would squeeze a little you know, and it was like ammonia and then you yeah. put it under your nose and you would shake your head and you kind of wake up and, you know, the bugs would kind of clear out and you became more aware of the circumstances around you at that particular time. Yes. Uh, but in terms of, uh, you know, you get dinged and you find yourself back in the game. You know, uh-huh. I, I'm sitting in my office today and, and I have a picture of a of a person of which I made contact with in a tackle uh-huh. and uh, he was knocked out, one of the greatest players to ever played the game, and before you know it, they had him back in the game.
1: Yes. That's kind of scary.
2: It so, is. It is, yeah. because from what they say, according to medicine, and I'm, I'm assuming that medicine has gotten better today than it was years ago. Yes. But, um, but certainly today they would not encourage that. They're, and I'm, they are trying to protect the players from harm today, but I, I think we had the rights to the same protection years ago.
1: Yes. So when you were playing football and uh, having these tremendously violent uh, collisions and having some concussions, did uh, friends and family members of you, were they hoping you would uh, prematurely end your football career before you got too bad?
2: Well, you know, sometimes uh, what you'll find out is when you are hurt, you know, it's hardest for your family members that are close to you, that see you yes and and they see you as a healthy person and then they see you as as an injured, injured individual uh uh-huh. and and they are concerned about your health and your being, and and that's what you you know that's what you struggle with um i remember when i had to retire i had a a young nephew who did not want me to retire who wanted me to continue to play ball uh-huh. you know uh i remember when my mother as a matter of fact when i got injured you know uh one particular time um you know my mother who's no longer with us um, uh-huh she was, uh, had taken sick and she thought she had one thing and what happened is that she really had a mild heart attack. Now, oh was it as a result of her watching me get injured on the field? I don't know, but it's one thing that I know when I got the injury that ended my career pretty much. Um, I, I do recall thinking, you know, because I was out for so long and, uh, that I wondered what my mother was feeling as she watched the game, and I was in New Orleans and she was in Ohio. That did yes. concern me. And uh, yes. the same for my wife, who was, uh, of course, she was in uh, Ohio as well, at home watching uh, the game on television, and I was uh, laid out on the field.
1: Yes, it must have been very hard for her to see her husband.
2: Yes, yeah, well, as, as we said, plan. that's... Uh, uh, when you talk about the the behavior of of an individual, you know how you know how do you respond when you watch a loved one on the field unconscious, yes. you know, yeah. and not moving. You you really don't know what's wrong with them.
1: Yes. So when you retired from football, uh, did you miss it? Were you glad you no longer played, or did you did a part of you still wish you could have played?
2: Well, you know, I would say that probably ninety uh, percent of the guys. Uh, that leave the game of professional football and probably professional sports, um, it's not a decision that's made by them. It's either because uh, the team decides to release them um, because it shows that they can't perform up to the ability of which uh, they're looking for in that particular yes. position, or yes. it's some form of en- uh, injury. And in my yes. particular case, it, for me, it was uh, – it was a combination of both the injury really you know caused the, the performance level to decrease uh however i was unaware uh but certainly later i found out some things um so he, it's a struggle you miss the guys uh you certainly miss the level of competition uh there's nothing like an arena of sports where there's every you have all these people that are rooting for you and you guys are against the other team and yes. everybody wants to win
1: yeah, it's very uh, primordial. You know, it's one unit of guys against another, and it's there's a lot of cohesion, or hopefully, a lot of cohesion among the team, and uh, there's all these things going on. It's, it gets yeah, the pretty frantic.
2: And the, con- the connection with the community and the fans of, of the game um, is unlike anything else you do in business. When you compete, when IBM competes against um, another manufacturer of, of, of computers and technology, you know, that's a corporation. That's that's not like a football team. It's completely different.
1: Yes. So about 10 years ago, I, I saw Fran Tarkenton on the TV, and he was saying how much he missed football. And, you know, he he wished he still could do it. And I assume that a lot of players have that kind of feeling. They don't well, like don't like being injured and hurt, but they miss the actual game, and it's, it's for many of them, it's a big loss.
2: And you're right, and, and what's interesting about that is uh, it's, it's an adjustment of which a lot of players struggle with.
1: Yes.
0: Um,
2: being away from the game, the transition from the game, they struggle with uh, what they're going to do in their uh, post-careers in terms of employment. Yes. Uh, they struggle with what they're going to do in terms of, you know, you've had a, a group of people – you know, as a support system in your life that no longer exists. Yes. Um, Even perhaps maybe some people that may have been what you perceive to be friends uh, were only there because of what you did in terms of how you earned your living. And so there's a, a strong... Uh, sense of um strength. There's, there's a sense of strength that needs to be there within yourself. Uh, yeah, a level of confidence and belief in yourself that you can continue to go on. And if football was just something that you did, it doesn't really define who you are as a person.
0: That's and,
2: true. And not only doesn't define what you know, everything you can do in terms of employment. Of course. And so you you have to you know draw on those skills. And those intangibles, and to get yourself together and pick yourself up and understand that life goes on. Yes. Uh, but you do miss that competitive um, arena. It, it, but, yes. but I'm a fan of the game, so I, I still compete as a fan. <laughs>
1: Although I imagine when you're watching a football game, you may be a fan, but you also see more technical things that most of us don't notice.
2: You're, you're right about that. You know, I, yeah. I watch the game differently than the average person watching sure, the game. Sure. Yeah. And because of my profession here as a sports channel director at Voice America, um, I still watch the game and and I uh, critique, you know, every play and uh, various players' positions and, and certainly their performance so that I've got something to share with the fans, uh, something that perhaps maybe they missed uh, because they they were watching, looking at one side of the field, and, and I was looking at a complete different side, and I picked up on something that perhaps they didn't even notice. Exactly, yeah.
1: So, um after you were finished playing football, have you stayed in touch with uh, uh, both teammates and opponents that you enjoy just as human beings?
2: You know, that, that's very interesting you say that because, again, that, that's part of the struggle that the guys have with the transition. Yeah. Because if, if, if the transition happens and, and, and you, you walk in, somebody sent me um, a former colleague of mine. We went to school together at, at Ohio State, and he played baseball um uh Kurt Dixon he sent me a poem called um in one minute uh-huh. And, and your life changes in one minute. You know, guys who were some of your best friends and you communicate with every day of your life, uh, you know, they're afraid to communicate with you. You know, a place where you could walk in and it's your home, it's your place, you know, it's your stadium. Yeah. Um, you're not even allowed on those premises, really, because you're not an employee of that anymore.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Um, so, yeah, so it's it's a tough, tough, tough Um, life to live it's a great life to live but there's a there's a downside to that life and it's, it's it's a dark side of which very people very few people get a chance to venture off into that and experience that either as a player or as a family member
1: yeah so um are there some players that you that you're still close with
2: Oh, yeah, the play, now here, it is an interesting thing, too. Some of the players, and, and again, there are many guys who leave the league as an employee, as a player. Yeah. But some of them find their way in the administrative side of things. Some of them find their way as coaches, maybe scouts. Uh huh. And, uh, you know, one of my best friends in life that I played with really, I mean, the Eagles, when I came, they had just come from the Super Bowl and they didn't win it. Uh, but they, uh, they were there to compete against the Raiders and they lost. But one of the superstars of that team and, and, and the Philadelphia Eagles organization has, it was Wilbert Montgomery. And, and Wilbert is still one of my best friends to this day and, uh, you know, running back coach, you know, and he's got his running back that he's very proud of, their Ray Rice with the huh. Baltimore Ravens. And, uh-huh. and I can pick up the phone and call Wilbert any time, you know. Yes. Uh, another teammate of mine, a fraternity brother of mine, Ozzie Newsom, he is actually the general manager. Of the Baltimore Ravens and uh, yeah. and Ozzy picks up you know if I if I call Ozzy he returns my calls yeah. um, and of course so yeah so when the guys and that's what, and I talked to a young ball player who again I mentioned earlier who's at the University of Virginia and that's uh-huh. something I shared with him is I I think sometimes when guys are playing the game and when they leave the game if they leave it. Prior to one of their friends, uh, you know, you need to stay connected to that person because that person really wants to stay connected to you. And if you're in college and you make it to pros and you have some friends that don't, but they're working in corporate America, when you go to those cities, you know, when that guy comes to your city, you should call him, even though you're working in corporate America and he's playing for an NFL team. Call that person. Call your teammate because he wants to give you tickets. He doesn't want you to pay for them. He wants to give you tickets because he's not going to have, you know, thousands of people calling him or hundreds of people calling him in every city that he travels to. Only yeah. his hometown. But yes. if you live in a city that you guys, you know, didn't go to school at and you're, you're, you're visiting, you know, uh, someplace, San Francisco and you're working in corporate America and he's, he's, you know, coming out there to play the 49ers. Call him. He'll be glad to give you uh, tickets. And I think yeah. sometimes guys, you know, it's it's, it's a teaching lesson uh, that needs to be taught. The to players to understand, you know, how you treat your teammates once their career continues to flourish and yours has come to a halt.
1: Yes, it's a big transition.
2: Yes, it is. But but the guys that are playing the game still they want to help their their former teammates and they want them to enjoy their success. And I think sometimes the competition is such that. Sometimes we forget that they're our friends. We're not competing with them all the time, just yes. some of the time. And once the competition stops off the field, then there's no more competition. That's where the friendship kicks in.
1: Yes. So uh, how did you end up being involved with VoiceAmerica.com?
2: Well, I actually, um, you know, um, was traveling to Phoenix, Arizona. I, I actually came here and um, played in the Fiesta Bowl when I was in college. And, oh. um and decided that I, I just loved the place, you know, and that uh, I said my prayers and said I wanted to move out here. And and uh, if I was able to, you know, have a, a nice professional career after I finished playing ball a few years after that, um, when you could retire from the NFL and receive your pension, I'd take my gas money because that's about all it was at that time. Yes. And I'd, I'd move my family. So I married a, a beautiful lady from uh, uh, from Missouri. Uh-huh. And I didn't know Missouri was a show-me state, but it is. Yes. And, and so Good. she said, okay, she said, show me. And, yes. uh, and so I had to show her. And so we moved out here. And I, and I um, uh, as I was leaving Philadelphia, and I planned this, this was, gosh, 25 years prior to, you know, in uh-huh. my life when I was in school senior year and then decided to come out here, um, I started saying my goodbyes. And, and a great gentleman who, who was a beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, Henry Clay. He said, "Ray, if you're going to finish, you should stop in to this company and see this lady by the name of Casey Trump." Uh-huh. And I was pretty excited because I thought she was related to Donald, and you know it was going to be yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she was going to really hook me up and connect me to everybody. Well, she wasn't related to Donald, but she still hooked me up, put me in touch with the right people. She became my executive producer of my show, uh-huh. and um, and then later I was offered an opportunity to come on and build the Sports Channel. And work with the NFL to make that happen because there are many players who are interested in um, some form of broadcast media once they leave the game. And uh, so I've been able to bring a lot of guys uh, here to the network with me as well. And so I've enjoyed the position of Sports Channel Director here at Voice America and uh, excited about it.
1: Good. And do you have kids?
2: Uh, Yes, I do have uh, two children. I sure do.
1: And uh, are you okay with them playing football if they want to?
2: Well, uh, my son, um, he did play football. He's, uh, since graduated high school. And, yeah. um, he's in this kind of stuck in between of what he wants to do, trying to find himself. And that happens with a lot of teenagers. We know that. So yep. we're going to continue to pray for him and, uh, that he might find himself. But I don't think he's interested in playing football anymore.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, but for a younger generation of kids that are playing the game, um, I still, it's a game that I love. I still yes. would in- encourage them to play the game. Uh-huh. I would just teach them to play the game a different way. I, I was taught to play the game in a violent way. Yes. You can be taught to play football with less violence than it used to be, and that's the way it's being taught nowadays, not as violent yes. as the game that I played, but a less a game with less violence, but still a very good football game.
1: Yes. All right. So... Um... Should we talk about uh, racism in sports? Oh, sure. And I mean, also, we'll without, have so, I'll just tell you very briefly, um, in 1972, I finished my dissertation, and I getting a PhD in sociology, and the, the title of my uh, dissertation was mm-hmm. The Black Side of Football, The Salience of Race. And this was football from the, the to the 1950s and 1960s and early 70s. And uh, it's quite different now, but back in 1947 or 45, I forget which, 46, was the first black football player in uh, the National Football League. And uh, it gradually became more and more black over the years, but still different positions were assigned for white players or black players so and, and that's and that's some, that's to some degree still the case so now in professional football it's very rare that you see a uh, offensive lineman a center being black and then the question is why is that and there's all kinds of possibilities so um, in the football today The the blackest positions tend to be defensive backs and um, running backs and receivers. So the question is, you know, why does that happen? Well, there's a lot of reasons for it to happen, but clearly um, it's it's way different now in 2012 than it was in 1955 or even in 1962 when coaches. (coughs) had stereotypical notions of what kind of person, would uh, in terms of black or white, would be better for one position or the other. So um, the, s- the skill positions, other than quarterback, were predominantly black, and uh, quarterbacks were predominantly white. And then with Marlon Briscoe, who started with one of the early black quarterbacks, to this day, it's no big deal whether they're black or white, but um, there's still positions where there are the stereotypes about what these people, black or white, can do. So, so supposedly, the um, center, the offensive lineman, center, giving you know the ball to the, get the getting the ball to the quarterback, uh, he's supposed to supposedly have high intelligence. And uh, in the old days, the notion was that the black players wouldn't be quite as intelligent, hence they shouldn't be playing center. That's changed somewhat, but it's still not really how it should be. Let's say there's a, roughly 13% of the U.S. population is black, and then, the, um, then, a, then a huge percentage is white – so you'd figure if we just take black and white for a moment, you, if it, if it was, uh, if it wasn't, if race wasn't an issue, then roughly 13% of the population of, uh, players would be black, and then, um 87% would be white. But that's not the case. So in c- certain sports like baseball and, excuse me, like football and basketball, there's many more blacks than, than, than there are in the general population. But with, with uh, something like ice hockey, it's just the opposite. There are very few black ice hockey players. Now, some of this has to do with, uh, in Canada, there aren't as many blacks as there are in the United States. But still, there are these notions of how a player should be depending on their race when race really doesn't matter. So, um, back in the, uh, in the well, in the, um, in the summers of 1970 and 71, I was uh, doing my study at UC, UC Santa Barbara, University of California, Santa Barbara, and that's where the 49ers would practice. And so, uh, I was allowed to hang around with these guys all day long and, uh, have dinner with them sometimes and I got to know some of them. And, uh, so one player you probably, I'm sure you know of is Gene Washington. Oh, sure. Yeah. He was a wide receiver, uh, for the, uh, San Francisco 49ers. But his first two years when he was in college, he was a quarterback at Stanford and he made the decision that, uh, given the stereotypes. He figured he wouldn't be able to make it as a quarterback, so he became a wide receiver, and he was great. And um, he was one of the people that helped me make sense of these different kinds of things, such as a, a, the training table. In the old days, uh, more often than not, blacks ate with blacks and whites ate with whites, and and uh, most of the times they had roommate assignments even you know, during uh, the training camp days, and so blacks would be you know, sharing rooms with the blacks and whites with whites. But, you know, there were some exceptions. So it's come a long way since the old days. And I don't know if you remember another player. He was, uh, with the 49ers back in the, uh, mid late, late to late 60s and early 70s. His name was Sam Silas. Do you remember him? Can't
2: say I remember Sam,
1: no. Yeah, he was a, uh, uh, a black player. He actually, he was very light skinned, but he was, you know, quote black. And, um, he was a very cerebral, interesting guy. And, um, he was a, uh, offensive guard. And he played football really well, but he really enjoyed being a a scholar. And he, he got a PhD in education and he's had a lovely career and life outside of football. And, um, There's so many different types of people who play football independent of race. You know, some people are very nervous, some people are, uh, keep to themselves, some people are very friendly. There's all different kinds of ways people are. And, uh, and I'm wondering if when, when you were playing football, if you were aware of black-white dynamics that seem kind of screwy. Well,
2: um, because of the fact that I've been blessed to be on this earth uh, 53 years, that yeah. uh, means that um, I, I was a, a product of the um, of the 60s. And so I remember when I was a kid, as a matter of fact, I was probably maybe um, nine years old when, uh, when Dr. King was shot and killed. And I was actually on a baseball team of which um, the baseball team was majority white kids, and there were um, three black kids on that baseball team. And I was on my way to baseball practice when we heard the news. Um, the other black kid, one of the other black kids on the team was my brother. And the other was uh, one of our best friends. And um, And we had a white coach. And I can tell you this, uh, I think there was probably maybe in the, in, the, in the entire league, there was probably maybe two or three other you know, black kids. So there was another kid that was on the team. He was, I think he was the only black kid on his team. He was a friend of ours. And then perhaps maybe another black kid on another team. But uh my coach, and I'm going to mention his name just because I respect him that much because he taught me how to be a winner. The first championship I ever won in an organized sports team, uh city team, was I uh, played on a baseball team in the Canton Mighty Mites. Uh, it was a police athletic league. Uh-huh. Uh, the Canton Police Athletic League. Uh, his name was uh my coach was Arthur Busby. Uh, and uh mister Mr. Busby we called him. And um you know, he didn't make a difference. As a matter of fact, when I was uh, I think I was ten years old, we won a championship in a championship game he let me pitch. Uh that championship game. And um and so he he taught us to be a team. But I was very much aware of race uh, as a kid I, I will tell you that, as a kid growing up in the sixties um you know and early seventies graduating from high school in nineteen seventy seven as you say, you wrote your your book, I think you said in seventy two uh, But one thing you were aware of is that uh we understood that we, you know sixty eight you know Dr. Dr. King was killed, so you know from that part back, things were really bad. And that time going forward, things were really bad for a period of time there. Yes. And so, uh, here it was that, you know, you were trying to participate in sports during that period of time. And, and in the neighborhoods, as we call them in the hood, we always knew that if it was going to be an integrated team,
0: yeah.
2: uh, the black kids felt as if, if it were, you know, if it were, let's say if there were two guys of the same, Abilities that the white kid was going to play instead of the black kid. We knew that. So yeah. we even said that you had to be twice as good. You can't make it close.
0: That's right. And it's
2: interesting. I really didn't think about – I always played hard. I was blessed with talent, but I worked hard. Uh, as I got to the high school, interesting you talk about the quarterback because I I was a black quarterback as a kid. Uh-huh. And I went to a high school – McKinley is my high school, and, and of course, our – our high school is right. The Pro Football Hall of Fame, in fact, we like to say is on our high school campus. That stadium oh, cool. that they played the Hall of Fame games in is a game that I played every high school game on that football field. Now, racism is something we don't like to talk about back in Canton, Ohio. But I didn't feel there it was race. Uh, but there was a quarterback that was a year ahead of me. Uh, he's since gone on, uh, he went on to Tulane University and became a doctor, a medical doctor, but he, he had, he had broke all the records when he was at Tulane. But he and I were in high school together.
0: Yeah.
2: And his name was Rock Hontas. And Rock played varsity football as a freshman. And uh, I played as a freshman. He was a year ahead of me. So when he was a sophomore, I was a freshman. I was in the varsity. He was, he was a backup quarterback on that varsity team. And yeah. we were competing. When I became a sophomore, uh he was a junior uh yes. but i don't know how it happened but i was moved to wide receiver <laughs> i don't know how that happened but i thank god that i was because it worked out i had a very good career and and rock had a very good career we 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 were very close and we played very well together and we won a lot of great football games uh but there is race i went on to ohio state university i played defensive back there Um, I played corner at the Ohio State University. I was Uh drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles, and I played safety. Safety is also one of those positions that in the National Football League, supposedly, it is a position of where you have to be of a level of intelligence that's beyond what they think a black player could handle. However, in the early 80s, as I recall, there were a number of black safeties that came into the league, and, and we... You know, got an opportunity to play that position. And, yes. um, and, and it kind of changed. The linebacking position has changed. But I, for me, I never understood because just being na- naive and going into the game, I'm thinking there are black players all over the country that are playing the same game of football that the white kids are playing. So it was just a level of competition yes. and the best person should, should win. But that's not always the case.
1: That's true so So you mentioned your uh little league coach, Arthur Busby yes mm-hmm. um, i I've noticed that for a lot of athletes, both in uh, high school in peewee leagues, high school, college, even pros, that for a lot of uh, athletes, their coach in some way is a father figure for them, and that a lot of players um, peewee guys as well as all pro guys um They have a fondness towards these coaches who, in some ways, are tough on them, but who are trying to help them become as good as they can be as a player.
2: Well, you know, it's interesting you said it because I I am from a single-family home. My my mother raised uh, myself, my brother and my sister. Uh Um, My mother and my father, obviously, their marriage didn't work and they split. Um, But I'm not going to say that I'm one of those that I I looked at my coach as a father figure because I, I never really did that. And I don't think any of my coaches really tried to be that father figure. You know, in Canton, Ohio, they take football extremely serious. And as a yeah. matter of fact, so serious that the coaches many times have problems with the fathers <laughs> back then because uh, the coaches coached and and they were there to coach you. They weren't, um, you know, they weren't trying to be your friends. They were trying to make you a better football player uh, because in, in Canton, Ohio, you know, it's important to to win. And particularly, there's one game that's important to win. It's the Massillon McKinley game. And and so many times you have coaches that their job is on the line. And so in that area, you know, they talk about football in Ohio and in Texas, California, Florida, uh but the primary concern is, is to win and uh the father figure I remember that being thrown out a lot, but for me in Ohio yeah. it wasn't you know, maybe when you went to Ohio State and even when I went to Ohio State I wouldn't say that Coach Hayes was a father figure because you know, he was he was a father figure in the sense that you respected him. And you you probably stayed away from him more than you tried to be under him, you uh-huh. know? and so <laughs> you certainly listened to what he had to say as well.
1: But I imagine you also wanted uh, Woody Hayes to uh, be pleased with you and be glad that you're you know doing well.
2: You're exactly right. Woody was not um, it, Woody was not a coach of which you wanted to be on his bad side. But yes. Woody was a he was a real teddy bear. I mean, you know, different than with the way things are today. Yeah, you know, when players, if, if there was some type of misdemeanor that a player found themselves in the middle of and being scrutinized by some form of authorities. Uh, you know, Coach Hayes would come to the rescue, and, you know, nobody committed any serious crimes, you know, on campus. Um, you know, but if a guy maybe got into a fight at a bar, you know, what are you probably sitting down asking, you know, what the hell are you fighting for in a bar? Or, or, you know, what were you doing out after a certain time or something like that? But thank God I didn't find myself in that position. Uh, but certainly, you know, Coach Hayes always, you know, he would ask about the family, you know, he, he would ask how you're doing your grades. He would make sure the counselor, if you needed the academic support that you were spending time with your counselor that we had there on the team and uh-huh. that you also were getting tutoring. So, you know, in that sense, you know, he was like a parent. Um but I think he, that would be the same way with a lot of coaches. So if, if, if you're saying a father figure from that aspect, yes, but in terms of the personal relationship, I didn't have it, but I really enjoyed it with my son, so I knew what that is. There's just too many of them for you to have those kind of relationships with, uh, with all your ball players.
1: Yeah, so w- when Woody Hayes uh, went over the line and finally got um, – he had to leave his job as coach. Uh, I forget the exact thing, but didn't he hit one of his players?
2: Well, he actually punched another kid uh, from the University huh? of Clemson, and I. Oh, another kid. Yeah, the other team. He, yeah. He should have punched Art Sleeter because Sleeter threw the interception. Yeah. Um, but, but uh, yeah, Woody did uh, – he punched a guy. But I, I'm going to say this. I'm going to go on record to say that, you know, in as, a, as the conversation – this conversation started about racism, yeah. you know, Woody was one of those coaches that integrated his team. You know, he yes. he was one of those coaches that had black quarterbacks and, yes. and damn good black quarterbacks as well.
1: Yes. So you, so you mentioned Schleister. He had a terrible life because he ended up in prison. He? Yes
2: he did. Um, you know, and few. that's that's very, very unfortunate because Art and I were roommates, uh, you know, quite a few times as we traveled uh-huh. um across the country to play football. You know, he was a year ahead of me and we had very good success at Ohio State as Art as our quarterback. And Art was a good he was a good kid, a good person and you know I think perhaps maybe, you know, you talk about a father figure, you know, I'm, you know, I'll go on record to say that if a coach is supposed to be a father figure, the coach that we had at that time wasn't a damn good father figure for Art Sleece because he was, he was probably at the, uh, at the horse track as much as Art was. uh, And he certainly should have ran Art away. And I I will never change that, that opinion of that coach and how that coach uh, facilitated, if you will, uh, some things that happened to Art later in his life, and he should have ran him away from uh, the horse uh, horse racing track. So when
1: you're saying the coach, you mean uh, Woody Hayes or one no, of the that other was coaches?
2: Not, no, that was Earl Bruce. That was not Woody Hayes.
1: Oh, yeah, I Earl Bruce. Be, yeah.
2: I want to be clear. That was not Woody Hayes. Woody Hayes brought Art into, yeah.
0: um
2: into the Ohio State University, started him as a freshman, yeah. And the black quarterback that we had at that time, here's was uh, something that's kind of ironic. The, the black quarterback was set down, and and the white quarterback got a chance to start. And uh, he didn't start off too good. He threw four interceptions against Penn State that that game, that first yeah. game of his career. And um, but then his second year coming back, uh, he, he did an outstanding job.
1: So yeah, I remember watching Arch Lister as a as a um, quarterback at Ohio State. and He when I would watch him play, he seemed really cool. But apparently, he had a very bad addiction for uh, gambling.
2: He did, and again, as I said, uh, you know that that started. Uh, it certainly blossomed while he was at Ohio State because it's, it's been well written, and and Art too has uh, testified to the fact that uh, once he uh, was a first round draft pick, and uh, you know got a pretty good signing bonus and earned a good salary. Uh, it was in full fledged then, you know, he was yeah. his gambling was probably at its peak. Uh, but it started when he was in college and and it's all known, it's, it's well known by many of his teammates, myself included, that, uh, there would be times where, you know, Art, uh, spent his, uh, his free time, if you will, at the racetracks. And yes. uh, there was even times where I can remember distinctively where, uh, on the practice field coming out to practice, Art and a few of the coaches being pretty excited. Because horses that they had bet on had won. And, yes. um And so there's no way that that coach, uh, Earl Bruce, was not aware of the fact of what was going on in Arch's life. And um, he certainly should have stopped it. Yes. I think he could have stopped it.
1: Well, maybe he could have. But when people have these kinds of addictions, it's very hard for them to stop.
2: <laughs> but, I would, you know, I would agree. But I think in order to become addicted, I think it takes um, repetition. Yeah. And I think this was prior to, uh, as I said, four years later, uh, yes. Art was addicted. But yes. So, so, uh, you so know, he, he was in prison for stuff.
1: two different stints, I believe.
2: I'm sorry? I think he had two different
1: uh, times when he was in prison for quite a few years.
2: Oh, sure, he did. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right, yes. But, he, uh, but I, he's out of prison now. He's back in prison now. He's back? Yes. Oh, my.
1: This is it's really a uh, very sad tale.
2: Yeah, I'm um I'm I'm sure he's not too happy with himself nor is his family. It cost his family everything he has. Oh, yes. Cost his mom and dad their farm. It yeah. cost him all the riches that he earned and deserved from the National Football League. Yes. Um, you know, and I'm 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 sorry that those things happened to him because he deserved better. He um life just got the best of him.
1: Have you ever had contact with him since he no, not
2: since I left the university. You know, we I played see. against each other a time or two in the pros, but uh, even at that time, I wasn't aware of, you know, what was going on. I, I, I saw some things myself to, to let me know that the, there were some things going on with Art that perhaps maybe, um, you know, he was headed in the wrong direction, but uh wasn't much you could do to really stop it.
1: I see. Well, that's really too bad.
2: So, um... What are some of the
1: things you like to do for fun?
2: Well, I'll I'll tell you what. I I told you I was a frustrated basketball player. I suddenly enjoy um, going to and watching uh, NBA basketball. Um, The same thing with football. Although football is a little different. Attending a football game, you know, uh, is sometimes it's just the – Getting in and out of stadiums, I'm not accustomed to that because I'm, yeah. I'm so used to just being able to drive right up and drive right in. And then when the game's over, oh. with you know, I, I'm always the last one out of the locker room. So uh-huh. by the time I came out, I could just drive away. I never knew that people had to sit in traffic for a long time for a football game. Yeah. I, I just I just didn't know that. You know. Yeah. And uh with basketball, it, it's a little bit different because you've got a fraction of the people. You probably got a quarter of the amount of people that are at a basketball game as appears to a football game. Right. Um, and and even so, that the Giants, the New York Giants, uh, I think I've read something. The Giants actually are trying to sue uh, the Meadowlands because they're thinking about building a huge mall up there near the Meadowlands, uh, which would just make it even more congested on game yes. day on Sunday for people to come to the football game. You're talking 70,000 people, and then you're talking about this mall, which is going to attract God only knows how many because they're considering building the biggest mall ever. Yes. And and they don't want to do that. They, they, they're they trying to get an injunction to stop that from happening. So they, they're even thinking about that as well. So, again, the experience of going to a game is great
1: getting yes. there
2: is not the best yes. um i like movies uh I, for some reason my wife doesn't like to go to movies i love to go to movie theaters i just like sitting there in the movie theater and um and watching that um you know i've lived on the east coast for many years i love going to new york i love going to broadway hmm. i love concerts so what kind, uh, what kind of movies do you like what type of movies yeah I'm more of a drama kind of guy. Um, but, but then again, I, I, I love comedies too. You know, I like everybody else, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, um, everybody's seen, the the Mike Tyson movie. I forget where the guys go to Vegas and, you know, and
0: yeah. Yeah, uh,
2: yeah. everybody watches that movie. Uh, you know, I, I love, you know, the kind of dramas Denzel Washington plays. And, uh, when yes. I was a kid, I used to love Westerns. I, I called them, uh, it was, it was either going to be a Western or it was going to be a movie that was about the inner city with big buildings, and I called those walking movies because yeah. they didn't ride horses like the Westerns, so everybody was walking around. So when I was a kid, I called those walking movies. Yeah. So I don't want to watch that. That's a walking movie. <laughs> I yeah, when I was a, a kid, Western.
1: I used to like Westerns too. So, so I've written a couple of screenplays with a friend of mine, and they both have uh, athletic parts to the movie.
2: Well, I'd be but, inter- I'd be very much interested in uh, and uh, taking a look at those.
1: Okay, well, I'll talk to my friend because we have a deal. We don't. Uh, we both have to agree to let someone see the script.
2: Well, you do that. I'll sign an NDA, and I'd, I'd love to take a look at that. Who knows? There may be a part for, uh, for, for a, a, a black football player in that movie. What do you think?
1: Yes. <laughs> so, um, so now that you're fifty-three. Do you still do uh, physical stuff? Do you still work out or play basketball? Well,
2: here's the thing about it, and I, I'll be very honest with you. Um, you know, I, I've started uh, a couple cases that I'm involved in, and I and I actually am to the point where um, I just can't do the things that I used to be able to do. And I, I I just don't know, you know, why that is. You know, my body's breaking down on me a, a little well, bit. Um, well, that so, happens, yes. We age yeah. yeah. I, well, I think it, it certainly comes with the pounding that I've taken over the years, and it, it may have sped some things up. Uh I'm sure of that. I I, I really do know why. But uh, in my mind, I still think, you know, it's one thing about as long as you're still sharp, you yeah. know, intellectually, when it comes to the game, I, I see things. I see it happens,
0: yeah. and, and
2: I think I can still do it. But hell, yeah. I wouldn't try to do that to save my life. Now, if I was younger, I'd do it again. But at this age, oh, they couldn't pay me to put a football uniform on now. No, no. <laughs> but,
1: but they have you know they have these basketball leagues for guys in their fifties and sixties, and they're not playing you know real rough and anything anything like that. So that might be something fun for you to do.
2: Well, you know the only thing about it the knees the the knees are the knees and the ankles are one of those things that oh, I see. you when you try to jump like I can't I really can't even think about you know. Trying to jump up and block a shot and come down. Yeah, I'm just thinking my knee. It's not going to happen. It's not going to work. That knee is just not. Oh no. And and plus I've got you know too many extra pounds on the body that uh, the the knees probably couldn't handle that that much force coming down. So in my mind, now I can I probably can I can probably beat you in horse or cow or whatever you play. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but I'm, I'm, I can't run up and down on a fast break. No. Nope. Yeah. So, uh,
1: how much more how much more weight do you have on you now than when you were playing football?
2: Oh, now you're going to embarrass me now. I probably got I probably played I probably say a two hundred five when I finished two hundred five two hundred six yeah. at the most, and I probably now I'm weighing a good two forty five. Yeah. So that's forty pounds, you know. Yeah. And And I like to, you know, make myself think it doesn't look that bad, but it looks bad. But I also know that if I were to lose, you know, thirty pounds, I'd probably look like I was a cancer survivor, you know. No, 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 no you,
1: yeah. you wouldn't. You, no, you wouldn't. Actually, if you were to, if you were willing, if you were to uh, walk every day for half an hour, and you know, do some light weights and stuff, and eat healthy, you probably would look really great at. at
2: well, I'm actually walking 000. every morning. It's interesting you say that. I'm actually walking every morning, Good. and I'm pro- i haven't quite yet got up to that uh, half an hour, but I'm certainly uh, fifteen twenty minutes around there, and I'm I'm working towards a half an hour, maybe an hour. Really, I just got to well, get up earlier.
1: Got to get up early to beat you know, the heat because where you live, it's like hell in the, in the summertime.
2: Well, you know, I'm I'm one of those guys. Um, you know, myself, Herman Edwards, Roy Neil Young, Wes Hopkins, yeah. Andre Waters. Um, we took tremendous pride that when it was hot, and I mean on the East Coast nineties and probably humidity ninety percent as well, yeah, we not nice. only would go out with our equipment on but we also wore plastic jackets.
0: oh my it. god, that uh, could it actually was, kill you
2: well it, well did well we we had plenty of fluids in our bodies, but yeah. uh, we wanted to get any excess fat off of us, you know, and, yeah. and we used to say, hey, socks when it's time to play your socks and jocks. Yes. But uh, certainly prior to that, we put those windbreakers on and we go out there and we sweat. And we took tremendous pride in it because the weather, when it's hot and muggy, it just gives you an attitude of, of you know, don't touch me. You know, you're, you're upset with yourself because you're out there and you're playing this game, how crazy it is to be out here. But that's uh, that's a level of attitude that you, you try to put yourself in a frame of mind. Yes. where, you know, you're not a real pleasant person to be around. So perhaps maybe you'll kick it out on somebody else on the football field.
1: Yeah, well, when, when you were practicing with all the hot gear on and you were really uh, sweating and uh, having a hard time, when you had to play against uh, people who didn't do that preparation, it made your job easier.
2: Yeah, we certainly we, we tried to get ourselves mentally in the right frame of mind. The way... If the way you trained, it showed uh, when you played. If, yes. if you trained properly and you were prepared, um, then when game day came, it was easy.
1: Yes. So I think in a minute or so, we're going to be saying goodbye, but I'm not sure if we started. They started with having the music come on, but
2: wow well i don't I don't want us to say goodbye. that means the show's gotta end, and we were just starting to have a good time but yeah. Jonathan, I can tell you I certainly appreciate it. I appreciate the time that you would uh uh take time out of your show and to talk about things that are uh not the most pleasant things for for the average fan or even a player yes. to, to to discuss and to talk about but it's 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 a part of the history of the game. And uh you know, if it didn't happen, then perhaps only the game that we enjoy today wouldn't be the game that it is, so I'm yes. glad to have been a part of it. I'm glad to have been a part of your show yeah. and I wish you uh, the best as you continue to do your show here at Voice America.
1: Well, thank you very much and i uh, I want to tell you that for most of us human beings who can't be professional athletes, we uh, wish we could have been, and uh, there's something special about you guys who could actually make a living as a professional athlete. And although um, that doesn't make you the best person in the world, but it does make you a unique kind of person in the world.
2: Well, I can tell you this. Let me say this before we go. Uh, I want you guys to know, it, you know, those of you that did not play the game, it's always, you know, fun and games. And as a matter of fact, one of my coaches asked me one day at practice, he walked up to me and said, Ray, don't you just love it? Don't you just love – and I looked him square-dead in the eyes, and I said, Coach, I'm going to tell you, I love the game on two days, on yeah. game day and on payday. But other than that, I hate this shit. I hate it. <laughs> so you, you didn't
1: like the practicing so much?
2: No, never did. Never did, Jonathan. Never yeah. did. So uh,
1: until they get rid of us, which may be any second now um, – what do you think about uh, when coaches get drenched with Gatorade at the end of the game when their team wins?
2: Well, I think that's a good thing, you know, because if you're getting drenched with the Gatorade, something happened, and that was that your team won the game. You know, I uh, I often think that, it, you know, one of the probably, in terms of coaching, probably one of the worst moments in the world is for you to, uh you know, have to look at a guy across the field being celebrated by his team, and then you've got to go over there. And, and shake that guy's hand i am I'm, I'm not gonna you know I'm one of those guys I'm not the best loser in the world yeah i I'm, I'm I'm not a good loser i don't I don't lose well, I don't like losing. I think yeah. I don't want to develop a habit of losing yeah and and so i I appreciate that got that, that moment, but I wish that moment was my moment, and I'm sure that's what most coaches feel like too yeah. that, you know they don't mind the Gatorade. away you know I even know if one it's, time it even if was a former coach of mine, I saw he was he was Drenched one time and didn't didn't really appreciate it. He learned to appreciate it, though. Yeah. I think yeah. you know you could be on the opposite side of that. Yeah. No Gatorade.
1: Although if it's uh you know ten to ten degrees below zero, and then you get this uh, huge uh, Gatorade shower, which is cold, I imagine it's pretty uncomfortable.
2: <laughs> well, again, you know when those things happen, you hear players tell you, I can't even tell you. You know, people talk about the crowd. I've only noticed the crowd since I've been a fan. But when I play the game, you never hear the crowd. And I can tell you this too: you know, once you win a football game and you get yeah. a Gatorade bat, there are coaches they won't tell you this honestly. But I will yeah. bet you that there are some coaches that are seeking out that Gatorade bat because they want it. They know what that means. They they want that moment.
0: Yeah.
2: There's that music.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I'm not here. I'm not hearing the music. Yeah, I'm Maybe. hearing it. I think it's about time. I, I think they're ready for us to go okay. to the next show. Well,
1: it's been a pleasure talking with you. And I'll stay in touch and see if I can uh, send you these screenplays. Maybe you know people in the show business. I don't know if you do or not.
2: I certainly do. And we're doing some things here on Voice America TV. So I'd like to talk to you about that, Jonathan.
1: Okay, great.
2: Well, thank okay, you so much for being my thanks guest. for having me on the show.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you again for listening today. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Human Behavior, What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brouwer on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have fun experiencing your human behavior.